Well, good morning. Good to worship with you today. If you're new here, my name is Fred. I'm one of the pastors. Just want to say welcome. Thanks for coming and checking out Redemption today. We hope you enjoy your time here and are built up and encouraged. We're going to be in the book of 1 John. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to 1 John. We'll be in chapter 2. If you did not bring a Bible, no sweat. The words will be on the screen behind me. I'm going to start in verse 3. We're going to read through verse 11. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says, This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to your word this morning, And as we continue to explore the difference between darkness and light, the difference between hate and love, God, would you open our eyes to not only see your word clearly, but to see ourselves clearly. May we examine ourselves, test our faith today, and be sure that we are walking in the light. Where there is a need for repentance, cause us to repent. Where there is a need to make adjustments in our priorities, God, would you make that clear? Help us to understand more fully today what it means to follow Jesus Christ, to live our lives for the sake of the gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. How do you know you are a Christian? How do you know that you have truly, as, as Colossians told us in the last sermon series, been rescued from the darkness and brought into the kingdom of the sun? Would you agree with me that not everybody who professes to be a Christian is truly a Christian? It seems it seems fairly obvious to me to look around and see that there are a lot more people who are professing to follow Christ than who are actually following Christ. And so how, how can we evaluate whether or not we are truly, as John describes it here, walking in the light, living lives that actually match the profession of faith that we make with our mouths? Well, all of this is assuming that we actually do need to be true Christians, How do we know that's true? I think this passage helps shed some light on that. If you have the handout in front of you uh, that we gave you on the way in, it might be helpful to follow along, fill in some blanks as we go, because the first thing that you'll see on that handout is this, that Jesus is seeking followers, not fans. 
Jesus is seeking followers, not fans. During Jesus' earthly ministry, there were a lot of people who were sort of impressed by him. There were a lot of people who wanted to come out and see him. There were a lot of people that were satisfied just being witnesses to what he was doing. And yet Jesus made it very clear that he was not seeking those types of supporters. On several occasions, Jesus actually made it hard for those people to continue following him. On several occasions, Jesus actually discouraged the crowds from continuing to follow him. He knew men's hearts. He knew that people were coming after him and following him just because they wanted to see the miracles or they wanted to be recipients of some of the blessings that were coming from those close to Jesus. These are what I'm referring to here as fans. Fans may at first have the appearance of being true Christians because they're not ashamed to join in the Christian crowd. They're not shy to profess that they believe in Jesus. However, at the end of the day, when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to actually obeying his commands, they're short on obedience. John says, this is how we know that we know him. If that's the question, am I a true Christian? Do I really know Jesus? Do I really have a saving relationship with him? John gives us sort of a litmus test here. That litmus test is this, if we keep his commands. He says in verse four, the one who says, I have come to know him, that's the profession. I claim to be a Christian and yet doesn't keep his commands buckle up, this is a little bit harsh, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Who does John say is a liar? Absent of the truth? The one who makes a profession of being a Christ follower but does not actually obey his commands. But whoever keeps his word, he goes on to say in verse five, truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Jesus is not served. He is not impressed. He is not excited just because someone professes to follow him. He does He does not need your affirmation. He does not need you to believe what he says is true. He already knows it's true. What he desires is for you to commit yourself to walking as he walked. What Jesus calls us to is to be followers, not simply fans of Jesus. That's why James chapter two, verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. To be hearers only is to be deceived. Now, it's becoming increasingly less common for Americans to attend church on Sundays. 
But nonetheless, there's still a lot of people attending church who need to hear this warning. It's not enough to come and to hear the word of God. That does not make you a follower of Jesus. That is an important part of being a follower of Jesus, but that does not make you a follower of Jesus. To simply come and to hear the word, but not obey it, is to be living in deception. Furthermore, I like the way Jesus, well, let me just read the passage and then we'll we'll talk about it. Let me turn us to Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 through 23, because Jesus brings a balance to this because on the other hand, on one hand, you have people who hear the word of God and don't obey it, and, and those should, should not consider themselves to be true followers of Christ. But on the other hand, you have people who outwardly obey the commands of Christ, but inwardly are not changed by them. And there can be such a thing as outward obedience, and that can be equally deceptive. Now we're gonna make this, maybe I'm making it too hard right now, but we're gonna make it easier before, before we end. But let's look at Matthew chapter seven, because Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Okay, so the emphasis here is Jesus He's, he's holding up two things. The profession, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that's the profession. And then the obedience, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So it sounds like obedience to the commands is the most important thing, right? And then Jesus says something surprising in verse 22. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name. These sound like doers of the word. These sound like people who have obeyed his commands. They have the profession, Lord, didn't we do the obedience? Jesus says, and I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Those are perhaps the most frightening words in all of scripture, that on that day there'll be people who stand before Jesus expecting to be a part of his kingdom, expecting to enter in. They have a profession, they call him Lord, they have works, they have done things that Jesus commanded to do, and Jesus says, I never knew you. The reason I think it's important for us to draw attention to that as we look at 1 John is because as we talk about the importance of obedience, as we talk about the importance of doing the word of God and not just professing to be Christians, I want to be clear. We're not talking about obedience that is apart from a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ because a lot of people are doing good things. A lot of people do good deeds, but to do good deeds disconnected from a love for Jesus is to not understand the gospel. Jesus said, only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven to do the will of the Father is not just outward deeds, 
To do the will of the Father is to love Jesus, to know Jesus, to walk personally with Jesus. It's pretty clear that being religious, and what I mean by being religious is to to be outwardly religious, to check off the boxes. You know, it's, it's not enough to attend church, maybe don't swear as much as the other guys at work, maybe don't do some of the things that, that other people do to, to show your devotion to your religion. It's not enough to outwardly express that without inwardly being radically changed. The Christian life is one of new birth. The Christian life is, is defined as being born again, as being a new Creation And in that new creation, you have an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your Savior. To be Jesus' follower, you must know him, love him, and obey him. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. Okay, so... If the, Christian, if the Christian life is partially based on obedience to the commands, John says this to set us up for where he's going next. He's going to hone in specifically on one command. Having laid the groundwork that we can't just simply say that we love Jesus and not manifest that in our lives, not show that by how we live, now John gets to the command that he wants to talk about. And the next thing that you'll see on the handout is this, that in Jesus, an old command is made new. An old command is made new. He says in verse seven, dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. That's about as clear as mud, right? I'm not writing you a new command, I'm writing you an old command. However, I'm writing you a new command. It's an old command that is made new in Jesus. The command to love has been around from the beginning. The command to love is the basis of the entire Old Testament law. That's why when Jesus comes, he says that all the law can be summed up in these two commands. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. It's not a new command. It is an old one. However, it's made new in Jesus. I wanna give you three ways that this old command is made new. You'll see on the handout, it's new because there is a new example. Under the old covenant, try to, try to picture, try to, <laughs> this sounds, don't take this quote out of context, okay? Erase Jesus from your mind. <laughs> don't, go, don't go and tell people, listen to what the preacher said in church today. Forget Jesus. Imagine that you live before Jesus came. Imagine that you have no context of the cross of Jesus 
when, when you hear the command to love. And so you have, under the old covenant, the law of Moses, some, I think, roughly 613 laws, 613 commands. And to love your neighbor as yourself is one of them. It's just one of many. It's an important one, but it's an importance isn't abundantly clear in, in that time. And so to love, to obey that command, to love, you most likely would have compared yourself to the people around you. Well, as long as, you know, usually this is what we do as humans. We just pick out somebody who's really rotten and we say, I'm doing better than him or I'm doing better than her. And so I guess I'm obeying this command to use human examples as the standard for love made this command significantly easier to obey. But the reason the old command is now made new is because we have a new example. This is how John says it. He says, I am, yet I, verse eight, yet I am writing you a new command which is true in him and in you. Jesus said with his, to his disciples before he goes to the cross, in John chapter 13, I give you a new command. Love one another. That's not a new command. But he goes on to say, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you see what Jesus just did? Now it's gonna be at least a few days before they understand this because Jesus is about to go to the cross. The next several days or the next couple of days are just gonna be full of despair and grief. And it's gonna be some time before they begin to understand what Jesus was telling them. But in time, they will come to understand what it means that they are to love just as Jesus has loved. Before Christ, the human example of love, the human standard of love, again, was your neighbor. Just who's the most loving person that you know? That's the standard. But now Christ has come. He has selflessly descended from glory, taken on flesh, become in a sense, miserable as a man, suffered for sins that he did not commit, died on a cross that he did not deserve to die on. And he did this for his followers. And he says, that's the example you're to follow. The new standard is Jesus' love for us. That's a bit intimidating, isn't it? It's intimidating to think that the standard that I am expected to live up to in terms of my love for one another, how I am to love my wife is to be reflective of how Jesus loves the church. Now, if we were to bring her up here today and ask her to grade me on how I'm doing, I don't know that I'd let her do that. <laughs> The, the standard for how I am to love my neighbor is how Jesus has loved me. The standard to how I am to love my brothers and sisters in the church is the way that Jesus has loved me. 
This new example has elevated the command to love. Why is this old command new? Because Jesus has raised the bar. He truly can say, I give you a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. That's, that's a bit overwhelming. Fortunately, Jesus assures us that he will send his Holy Spirit and that his Holy Spirit will come live in us and that that Holy Spirit will help us. He will assist us in loving one another. So it's new because there's a new example. The next thing you see on the handout, it's new because there is a new urgency. There's a new urgency to this command We're still in verse eight. I'm gonna read the second half of verse eight. Uh, It's new because there's a new urgency. Verse eight says, because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Now this is a little little bit involved. (laughs) Try to follow me here. Human history can be defined by eras. Human history can, and not just eras that we humans designate, but actual eras that, that God designates. And when Jesus came and lived on the earth and died for our sins, rose from the grave, and then 40 days later ascended into heaven, that instituted a new era. That's a new, that's a, that's a new era in human history And it's often referred to, and this can be a little bit confusing, it's confused a lot of people, it's often referred to in the Bible as the last days. And so people say, do you think we're living in the last days? Usually they mean, do you think we're like really close to Jesus's return? But to actually speak biblically, the last days began at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. And the last days are actually years a couple of thousand at least. <laughs> and, and this only makes sense really from God's perspective because from God's perspective, a day is a thousand, as a thousand years and a thousand years uh, is as a day. And so really time becomes different when you see things, when you, when you kind of step back and see things from his perspective. But in this new era that we find ourselves in, this era is defined by gospel urgency. The thing that changed when Jesus ascended into heaven is that the gospel is now available to save all of mankind. That is a significant shift in God's plan of redemption. He went from from revealing himself through the nation of Israel who eventually brings forth this man named Jesus and now he is revealing himself to the whole world. Not only is he revealing himself, but having made known his plan of redemption, he is calling all men everywhere to repent and to believe the gospel. The urgency of the last 2,000 years is the urgency of getting the gospel message to every man, woman, and child. The urgency of of being sure that our lives reflect accurately
accurately the gospel of Jesus to those who are observing our lives. John says the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Prior to Christ's earthly ministry, this light that John speaks of was hidden in the nation of Israel. And now this light, this light is breaking out and it is shining all over the earth. Now there are different underway, different ways of, excuse me, different ways of understanding the, the end times, the last days. The Bible speaks of a millennial reign of Christ and that's been interpreted a couple of different ways. I think especially leading into the 20th century, late 1800s, early 1900s, Christians, especially in, in, in the Western world, were, were thinking that perhaps we were living in the millennium because society was advancing, scientific knowledge was growing, life expectancies were increasing, there was relative peace in the world, and a lot of Christians thought, well, maybe this is, maybe this is the millennium, maybe... Life on earth is just going to get better and better and better. And then the horrors of World War I where men were just, just ruthlessly killed in horrific ways. And then later, World War II, the Holocaust, and then a century full of wars that leads us to where we are today where it seems very clear to most Christians that humanity is not evolving towards moral high ground, but that perhaps we are heading the other way. And so this urgency needs to be reignited. The urgency is for us to live lives marked by love to validate the gospel that we proclaim. The urgency is for us to not be consumed with the things that are passing away in this world, but to be consumed with spreading this gospel message through Christian love. The urgency is that we know that all men will stand before God and give an account for how they have responded to Jesus' offer of salvation. So this old command is made new. It's made new through a new example. It's made new through a new sense of urgency. Finally, it's new because there is a new importance. There is a new importance on this command. Of the 600 plus laws that God gave the Israelites under the old covenant, this one has now risen to the top. This one has now become a defining example of whether or not you are in Christ. John says in verse nine of our passage, the one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. Love or hate defines the validity of your profession of faith. 
to some, to some degree. Don't take that too far. The one who says he's in the light but hates is in darkness. That's not where you want to be. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the Christian life. That's not salvation. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light. That's where you want to be. John says in verse 11, but the one who hates his brother or sister is in darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Of those 600 Old Covenant commands, I don't know of, in the New Testament, any other example of taking one of those commands and saying, this, this is a watershed command. If you, are, if you are in the light, if you are a true believer in Christ, you'll keep the Sabbath. If you don't keep the Sabbath, you're in darkness. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't say of any other command what John is saying here of the command to love. The absence of Christian love is defined here as somebody who is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and is blinded by the darkness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, he was being questioned by some of the religious leaders of his day, and someone said to him, verse 36, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's, a, it's actually a command in the Old Testament. We saw that when we were in Deuteronomy. And then he says in verse 38, this is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says something so profound. He says all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Because if you're loving God and you're loving, if you're loving God with all that you have and with all that you are, and if you're loving your neighbor as you love yourself, then you will, you will fulfill all of the commands. If you're loving God and you're loving neighbor, you won't kill. If you're loving God and you're loving neighbor, you won't steal. You, you won't commit adultery. You won't covet. You, you, by, Obeying these two commands will consequently obey all of the other commands. Jesus places a new importance on the command to love. He, he, he lays forth a path by which we can really simplify what it means to obey and to follow God. Love him. Love him. Love him, I mean, Biblical love. To love him is to know him, to know his character, to know his gospel, to know what pleases him, and to love our neighbor, to love our neighbor in a way that is true. I, I, I need to be clear here because the world outside of the church has sort of hijacked this idea of love and they've, they've redefined it in terms that are unbiblical and love is actually the grounds among many today for doing the opposite of love. Love has become sort of a buzzword that, that we say things like, well, love is love and what we mean by that is that, that we're okay to disobey God and to violate our neighbor. 
We're talking about biblical love, the love that is defined by God that is rooted in what is true and what is good. Jesus elevates this command, not only through his example, not only through, through presenting it as urgent because of the light that is coming into the world to dispel darkness, but he elevates this command by saying that in, in keeping this command, you'll keep all the others. I said we'd simplify it a little bit. To love God is to obey him. To love your neighbor as yourself is to always do what is good for them. Facebook reminded me that in 2011, I shared a quote. You know, these Facebook memories pop up. This one popped up on Friday right before. I saw this just before I went and preached in Sarver. I shared a quote in 2011 that was, I think, helpful for, for this message this comes from Mark Dever. He's a, a past, the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., very influential Christian leader. He said, I don't care how much you cry during singing or preaching. If you do not live a life marked by love towards others, the Bible has no encouragement for you to think that you're a Christian. None. He's like a real touchy-feely kind of guy. <laughs> Listen to it again. I don't care how much you cry during singing or preaching. That could be our profession, right? Like the one day a week, I get serious about this Jesus thing. I go to church and I'm really into it. He says, if you, if you do not live a life marked by love towards others, the Bible has no encouragement for you to think that you're a Christian. So the application for today is simply this. Who do you need to love? Who do you need to love? Oftentimes when we hear a message like this or when we come to a scripture like this, God will speak specifically to our hearts about a particular relationship or perhaps several relationships where we're, we're not applying this well. And if that's the case for you today, I want you to take that seriously. I want you to believe what John said here that to, to be a true Christian, to be a follower of Christ is to love. And to, to be hateful is to be blinded by darkness. And to, it means we are not walking in the light. But perhaps you don't have a specific person in mind, but you just are aware today that you need to reorient your attitude towards love. We want our first response to be love towards others. Of course, all of this begins with receiving the love that Jesus has for us, receiving that what he did on the cross when he came and he died for our sins was so that we could have eternal life. And so maybe the application today for some of us is to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now that we know what that means, that it means that we're going to follow him, we're going to obey him, we're going to keep his commands, we're going to live lives of love with his help, then perhaps the most urgent thing you need to do today is to cry out to him and ask him to save you of your sins and grant you eternal life. Well, as you consider that, would you pray with me? Father, first and foremost, if there's anyone here who needs that gift of eternal life and desires it today, God, would you come into their life, cause them to be born again.
Give them the assurance of the forgiveness of their sins. Grant them new life. And Father, for those of us who have already taken that step of obedience and and trusted in the gospel message of Jesus Christ dying for our sins, now we need to obey. We want our obedience, we want our lives to match our profession. We don't wanna just be, be Jesus fans, we wanna be Jesus followers. And Father, I know messages like this oftentimes bring up past hurt. And I know there, there are people in this room who are, who are feeling the sting of past hurt right now, things that people have done to them that make it difficult to love. Holy Spirit, would you especially attend to those this morning? Holy Spirit, would you come into the heart that is has been wounded by someone else and bring healing, bring forgiveness and allow the seed of love to sprout in their heart today and grow stronger and stronger each day. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.